Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, it's Mark Graben here. Welcome to the podcast. It is episode 444. It's March 30th, 2022. In hindsight, maybe I should have waited to release this episode on April 4th, making it episode 444 on 4-4-22. But anyway, our guest today is Michelle Smith. She is a CEO and executive coach of her firm, Better Possibilities, LLC. While she has a lot of experience in healthcare, um, the, the topics today, I think, will apply to leaders in um, any type of organization. We're going to be talking about her experiences with lean and change management and a workshop she's going to be teaching on June 7th at the Lean Healthcare Transformation Summit titled Winning the People Side of Transformation. So you can learn more at leanblog.org slash 444. You can find links to learn more about her workshop and the summit. I'll be there in Salt Lake City for the summit that week. I hope you'll join us. It would be great to see you there. Now we'll learn more about Michelle and we'll go on with the episode. Thanks for listening. Again, our guest today is Michelle Smith. She is a CEO and executive coach of her company, Better Possibilities, LLC. Uh, she is a faculty member for Catalysis, and uh, she's a former director of the Sutter Improvement System. Before I tell you more about Michelle, we're going to talk about a little bit about Lean. We're going to talk a lot about change management today. Um, first off, welcome to the podcast, Michelle. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing awesome. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Yeah, well, thank you for being here. Um, telling you a little bit more about Michelle. She is a dedicated executive and leadership coach. She has extensive experience coaching individuals across all levels of the organization. She has broad experience as a leader and a change management consultant with expertise in things like team building, leadership development, uh, facilitating and coaching with leadership to help arrive at an organizational strategy that has aligned goals and solutions and ultimately culture change. Uh, Michelle is leading a workshop June 7th at the Lean Healthcare Transformation Summit, which is put on by our, our friends at Catalysis. Uh, her workshop is uh, titled Winning the People Side of Transformation. So we'll have a chance to dig into that a little bit more today. Um, the, the conference this year is being held in Salt Lake City. June 6th and 7th are workshop days. The eighth and ninth are the main days, and uh, it's really it's a great event. It, it, it'll be nice uh, to be back in person oh to do gosh, something yes. like this, right? Yes. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Oh, I'm so looking forward to it. I mean, I'm like talking to people, going, "It's going to be in person. It's going to be in person." <laughs> and I think there are there are hybrid options available for people who do want to experience it that way, but. I'm, I'm glad that we're going to be able to get together in person. So you can learn more at the Catalysis website, createvalue.org. I'll put a link in the show notes about the summit and more specifically um, on Michelle's um, workshop. So before we, we, I think the story starts, the conversation starts with lean, you know, the idea of mm -hmm. not just using lean tools or projects but the idea of an improvement system or a management system, like how, how would you frame and describe what that means for a healthcare organization in your experience? Well, or, or anyone. So I guess healthcare organization. Um, for me, it's, and I've, and I've heard people say this, it's about um, engaging people at all levels of the organization, right? So you basically have an organization of problem solvers. And what, it, what does that really mean, right? And, and, and it requires people to, as leaders, to let go of the control or the area of responsibility, if you will, that they traditionally had. Because before leaders would, would just cascade everything down and then everything rested on my shoulders. And the exciting part about a management system or a continuous, you know, a culture of continuous improvement is that you're not on an island by yourself. <laughs> that you're actually able to take the people that you spent all the time to hire really intelligent people and you can tap into everything else they bring to the office. And that's the exciting part. So it's like, I know when I had my team at Sutter, you know, we had 16 consultants that were on the team. We supported foundation and hospital is that I 
And it was, it was so funny when I stepped into that role, the leader I previously had, she goes, Michelle, now you can go and put into play everything that you've been coaching leaders to do with your own team. And it was, and I, and what I told them, and this is what I believe is that we're all on the same level, right? So I've got, the difference is we just have different roles. And so I may have this scope of responsibility, but we're all going to come and contribute to, to this business. So the Sutter Improvement System of Valley North, which was my team, it's our business. And so I think the opportunity of having a lean management system or a culture of continuous improvement, whatever you want to call it, is that we convert people to, they understand they're, they're business owners. And so we make decisions as business owners. And I think the sky's the limit. I mean, I look at my team during COVID and everything we went through and our our burnout level on the EOW scores, it actually improved during COVID, <laughs> okay? And, uh, and we were tapped for so many projects, but we set it up to where we were in helping each other. Um, and, I, and I just think that's the ideal situation. And so as a leader, yeah, I was working long hours, but it, wouldn't, it was nowhere near what it would have been had we not been engaging that way. If if you and other leaders, when if you weren't letting go of control, then the need to dive in directly is is so much higher and time consuming and distracting from more strategic activities, right? Well, it is, and I and I think the thing is too is um, there was a group that I was coaching that were going through a leadership development activity. And I love this analogy: is that as a leader, we have our perspective, right? That's, that's all we have visibility to is our perspective. And in order to make really great decisions as a leader, we need other perspectives. So here's the analogy that maybe people can, you know, latch on to is GPS. So if you look at GPS back in the day, right, when Tom Tom and Garmin were out and everything else, and here's when you had people on Seinfeld that were, you know, turn left at the right thing and they're going into a lake, right? Um, because there was a satellite maybe. And so the accuracy of that GPS wasn't so good. And I'll give you a real example. My daughter and I, she's going to college. We're back in Boston and we're driving on the freeway. We're going to go to Ikea and we're on the freeway. And the thing says, you have arrived at your destination. And we're looking around. Sure enough, like off the freeway across the field was an Ikea in a shopping complex. We were close. (laughs) We were close. Yeah. But fast forward to today, and if my way says at 125 feet, you're going to make a left-hand turn, I bet if I got out of the car and actually measured it, I'm pretty stinking close. So that's the advantage of all the satellites, all the perspectives on where I am. And leadership's the same way. Well, it's funny that we're in an era of GPS, and you're, you're triggering a memory Maybe one of the first times I used a GPS in a Hertz rental car in about 2003, I was in um, Massachusetts, right along the coast, and the GPS showed I was like in the Atlantic Ocean <laughs> because the resolution accuracy wasn't that great, like you said. Well, that, so. or have you ever been at one where I was driving in a different area that it was in newer construction? I'm going to say newer, maybe it was two years old. And all of a sudden, and I'm in an area I do not know, do not know where I'm going. So it's not like I can depend on, oh, I've been here before and I kind of think I know where I'm going. And all of a sudden on the screen, it's just a floating cursor. There's nothing in the background because it hasn't been uploaded or updated. <laughs> I'm like, okay then. So we'll just keep going until we land again on some map. Um, so yeah, technology's come a long way. Yeah. And, and it, it makes me think of, you know, these phrases that we use. I, I think I'm correct in crediting my friend, Ryan McCormick, who was involved in the healthcare value network with the organization he used to work for in uh, Winnipeg. And so I think I, I saw Ryan share some thoughts about this online that we, we talk about like, you know, a roadmap for lean transformation. Yeah. Like, that's really dated now. Like <laughs> what would a GPS, like a roadmap required that you really plan out in advance every turn. Yes. And you better hope everything goes right. Printing out MapQuest back in the day of like, yes. yeah, it, that MapQuest or, was or great. the Thomas Brothers map books, right? Yeah. Like that's great as long as there wasn't uh, a detour. And, you know, when we do this type of organizations, there's always going to be a detour. 
I'm curious to hear your thoughts if this analogy is worth extending of like how a GPS can help reroute and recalculate based on some change that you didn't anticipate. Well, think about ways. Okay. And I don't know if others do it because I literally landed on ways. And I'm working remote now predominantly, right? I mean, you know, my work location is home as a, a lot of people are, but, and I'll still go to other places. But when I went back and forth in the office, people would go, why are you putting your navigation on? You know how to get there. I said, I do, but I don't know what's ahead. Right. And so my navigation would tell me, Houston, we have a problem. And they would reroute around whatever's going on because you, again, you've got all those reference points, right. That are going on people up ahead, other wazers that are going, we have a slowdown. We have traffic. There's an accident here, whatever may be going on. And I remember one time I was driving, I think it was to Eden, you know, the Eden Hospital in uh, Castro Valley, I think. And I had to be there for a super early morning meeting and I've got ways on. Of course, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going at the normal thing. And all of a sudden it starts spinning and we're rerouting you and do everything else. And literally there was a back-to-back step ahead, accident, and boom, I'm going the other way. So I made it on time. So to your point, um, and I have to smile when you said roadmap, because I remember when I stepped into the role of manager of education and standards for the improvement system before the director role, um, I was told we had to have a roadmap for, you know, the education and the, you know, basically lean and get everything up to speed. And you're right, it's dated. And you're right at the point that if you have this roadmap, how do you factor in when the learning, um, the delays, the, the opportunities that come along, that all of a sudden we're on the road and there's no exit ramp, we're on the freeway, there's no exit ramp. Um, and so I think there's an opportunity to say directionally correct, here's where we want to go, here's what we want to create, right? Future state, whatever you want to call. Um, but there's got to be something to say, okay, and, and here's some milestones we know about, and here's directionally how we want to do it. But someone's got to build in the fact that we need to have learning. It's like with my team, we had what was already scheduled, we were tracking stuff, but we met every week because things changed rapidly. And so it's every week we got together and said, okay, great. How are things going? What's the hot stuff? Who needs help? Do we need to double team something? And so people were able to step in and help each other in that moment, you know, and they knew to reach out at other times, but it created that expectation, that connectivity. And that's the kind of stuff that has to happen. It's like, okay, let's, let's set on where we're going to go, but we need to know that we can step in and go, something else is going to take precedence right now. And so this is on the back burner or, oh my gosh, I do need help getting over this hump. When Kaizen events would happen or anything else, like someone say, I need two consultants to be here. Okay, great. Boom. Who's got bandwidth? But create those moments so that stuff can happen. I mean, the other thing that comes to mind with, you know, roadmap versus GPS. So in in both of those models, you you know your destination, right? Mm -hmm. So when you talk about a lean management system or, you know, oh, transformation, that big waiting word. word. You might know the destination based on your own needs or what other organizations have proven to be possible. I think the one problem with a roadmap analogy is that assumes the way somebody took before is the yeah. way, right? And you think about the way versus a way where with GPS uh, down here in Los Angeles, my wife often has to drive to a site up in the San Fernando Valley. There's a way to get there. There are actually many ways to get there. And she knows how to get there. But back to what you were saying about why does she always have Google Maps running? Yep. Based on conditions today, it's going to tell her to stay on the freeway. Or based on the real reality now, it's going to have her get off the freeway and take surface streets. There are many ways to get there. Exactly. So if you have, so if you think about that, and I and I and I love that, even though we didn't plan this, but here we are, <laughs> just like in our Google Maps or you know ways. Um, but if you have teams, where, where if you think about it, I think the ideal situation is you meet people where they're at. Okay, um, and it's like I've, I've got a leader I'm going to be supporting in a healthcare organization at the end of this week, and he's bringing his leadership team together for the first time. Right, there's 30 people. And so part of the conversation was, he said, because um, I asked him, I said, so where is your team on, you know, as far as capability from your perspective? Because that's all we need, just directionally correct. 
And so he said, I've got some people that don't have a clue, right? They, they're not, no awareness of, of managing or leading differently. No fault of their own, just no awareness of it. Um, others are pretty far along. They're, they're close to where ideally where we want leaders to be. And so his question was, he said, um, so should we do a survey so we can find out where people are at, you know, from their perspective? And I said, I don't know that we need that because it doesn't change how we need to engage them with them in the beginning. Because in the beginning, we have to level set the room, right? And so that everyone can at least have a basic understanding of what's going on. But to your point, once we level set the room, we're going we're gonna to need to know, Do I'm going to engage with you differently and have different conversations because of where you're at. And now I'm going to make sure that I can do something different over here so that I can bring you up to speed so that you don't feel like you're left behind. Um, so I think to your point, roadmap doesn't work, but some sort of GPS works because GPS is going to go, oh, you're backed up, which means maybe you're at the very beginning of your learning. And so we need to take a different route with you versus you're, you're, you're golden. We're just going to send you something and, you know, here's a video that you can practice or here's your group that you can start actually doing stuff with. Um, so I love that. So why don't we just do lean GPS? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if anyone has trademarked that yet. We should. <laughs> okay, we better write that down now. <laughs> Uh, there's a website address to be had there, maybe. But um, you know, before we take a deep, deeper dive into your thoughts around you know leading change and working with people, a couple of things I wanted to come back to that you talked about in the context of lean management systems. So I, I agree with you when you said the goal is in organization of everybody everybody being a problem solver. Mm-hmm. One challenge I've run into is that different people will have different definitions of what it means to be a problem solver, mm-hmm. where I, I've heard you know, people say, oh, we're, we're great problem solvers. But then when you ask for examples and stories and observe, they're firefighters. Yes. I wonder how, if you've run, so it sounds like you've run across that. Do you have thoughts on trying to help shift people from workarounds and firefighting to problem solving that helps eliminate future problems? Yeah, because um, it's funny, and because what it, what I'll say is, um, I agree that we don't all have a shared meaning of certain words, right? Because a lot of it has to do with our own experience. So when I think about when you said firefighting, firefighting is um, it's more countermeasuring than solutioning, right? Um, and you have to do it. I mean, you have to do it. I mean, you're not going to let the fire just burn, right? Um, and that does take a skill set. Because in that moment, you have to go, okay, what are we going to do about this thing? But the, but the significant difference, and this is what I talk to people about, is that is that fire going to surface again? Odds are it will. Unless you've actually put out the cause of the fire, right? So if, if you have not removed the oily rags and the, the, you know, the little lighter that you have next to it, odds are that puppy's going to flare up again. So do you still need to firefight? Yes. And you're going to continue to firefight until, right, until you start eliminating and removing the causes of those fires, which I think they're all, and one could be, they, they could call it, if you want nomenclature, you know, problem solving, because they are addressing a problem in a firefight. But the solving leads to the difference between, I think Margie Hagany is the one that said this, between countermeasures and solutions, and it could have gone to Shook that said, that said it to her, Right. Is that, you know, is this a permanent, we're never going to see it again? Solution, if you will. And is this just something that's not tested? Because you and I talked about hypotheses about things, right? Tested. And and we still have to learn from this. And this may not be the thing. So um, I think, yes. <laughs> yes, it's a challenge to try to help move people yeah, along it, in that. But right? it's the same and it's different. And and, and the difference, I think, is you remove the source of what that thing is. Yeah. But but to give people credit that they are in their version in their world of solving problems, but but the solution part isn't happening. Yeah. Another way I've heard it explained uh, from former Toyota people that I've gotten to work with and learn from is the difference between a short-term countermeasure and a long-term countermeasure. Okay. So there is some element of, like you said, put the fire up. Uh, firefighters do not show up to the scene of a fire and pull out an A3 to do root cause analysis. They, <laughs> no, no. they literally, they get the hoses going yes. and they save the people. 
So, you know, there's there's short-term countermeasure, but even in a, in a more real-life example, you know, a short-term countermeasure in manufacturing might be to add an additional inspection step. Now that's yeah. adding cost. And we could say, well, that that action is waste, but they might say, but you know, yes, that's not ideal. But letting the defect go through is far worse than having an extra inspection step as a short-term countermeasure to then go back and figure out how do we stop creating defects to begin with. We saw and it I think, COVID. We I'm, saw it in COVID when COVID hit. Short-term countermeasures everywhere. Mm. Like everywhere. what's what's an example that you saw? Uh, people sitting at the front of hospitals, the temperature screening and putting masks on and doing all this stuff. That's not it's not sustainable. It added a, a lot of extra cost to staff, right? But until until somebody could start getting things under control, if you will, or time went on. Okay, to you know, some level of herd immunity, whatever it may be, because it was this thing that we really didn't know anything about. People had to start mitigating the damage. And so when you when I hear short-term countermeasures, I think about those mitigations that happen for the immediate risk so that we can go, okay, how do we continue to operate? Okay, and, and in a lot of situations actually operate, right? <laughs> Um, but how do we continue to operate and, and keep people as safe as we can with what we know is happening? You know, a short-term countermeasure was everybody's out of the hospitals that aren't essential workers. You know, I remember I got a, a call from a CEO one night because my team got pulled and he called like a weekend. He said, Michelle, he said, here's the thing. Um, I understand non-essential workers being pulled. He said, but your team is essential. To me, because the role they're playing in, you know, all the command center teams and the work that's going on problem solving, he's like, will you allow so-and-so to go back? And I said, this isn't my decision, right? And so literally had a conversation with the employee, tapped a couple different employees to, you know, if they weren't okay with going back. But when you think of short-term countermeasures, that happened nonstop during COVID and the, especially the initial months of COVID hitting. Yeah. And, and I think one of the problems in general is when the short-term countermeasure becomes permanent, mm -hmm. that people don't take the next step to, okay, we've got mitigation or people sometimes use the word containment. Yes. And then how do we move beyond to something that, that is more, more sustainable? Well, and I think when people throw additional resources, FTEs at something, right? That's, mm -hmm. So what comes yeah. to mind for me is you've increased the waterline. You can no longer see what's underneath there, this huge iceberg that you've got or all the dangers, everything else going on. And so when you do that, you've got this false sense of security. Unless somebody can go and say, you know what? This was temporary. We still need to go back and fix this. And it depends whatever else they're fighting. Because it could be that in the scope, the scheme of things, because you can't fix everything at once, what's the thing we're focusing on right now, right? Depending on timeline, targets, resources. And, and so maybe it's that you do raise the water line, um, but at some point you've got to go back and go, does this make sense? Is it viable long-term? Is this still the thing? But you're right. I think what happens is the noise goes away, the symptoms go away, and you go on to something else that may be louder. Yeah. So another thing I want to touch on, and maybe this is a, a transition point to talk about change management and um, you know leading leaders through change. You know, you made the really good point earlier. Um, you know, an example of a management behavior, leadership behavior that would help lead to a continuous improvement culture is letting go of some control. Um, Kim Barnes, John Toussaint both talk about this a lot in their talks and their work. This will probably come up in the conversation mm -hmm. in the summit of, you know, uh, stop being a hero, you know, going beyond heroes of the heroic leader swooping in and doing everything. So, I mean, like we, we can talk about that with people conceptually sort of rationally, but then gosh, people are complicated. Like, Easier said than done. Like, okay, as leaders, you're going to stop jumping in and giving people solutions. Is can you talk about like you know sort of helping leaders through that change through a change management process? Yeah, um, and what comes to mind for me because I'm grinning is it's a it's almost an elephant in the room conversation with leaders, and and I know I've um, 
several times that I've gone into coaching uh, arrangements with leaders where their bosses have, you know, set up the thing and I'm their executive coach. And we sit down and talk about that because it's about navigating through, you know, what are your career aspirations? What do you want to talk about? But also leading differently, right? And this isn't to say, because I had feedback from one uh, VP, I had a colleague and I that had done um, built a course called Executive Lean Foundations, and it was targeted for the execs. So it was VP and above that we um, engaged with and everything else. And, it, and one of the leaders, the feedback we gave, because this wasn't my intention, but he said, it feels like you're saying that the traditional way of managing is bad and this new way is good. And I said, I appreciate the feedback because that's not what I'm saying. And so from that point forward, I, I made it I made it a point so that I wasn't labeling something bad and good. It's different, right? And so if you're if you're tasked with being a successful, effective leader in something that's going to be a lean management system or a culture of continuous improvement, where you're tasked with developing others, that problem solving is happening where the information is, you need to lead differently. Right. It doesn't mean the way you're currently doing it's bad. There's plenty of ways to be successful in business. But here's the reality. Right. And, and that, I'll, that I'll let people know. I said one of the things that leaders wonder about as they're stepping into this space where they're no longer the decision people. Right. Or the answer people. Or the great feeling you get when you fly in and save the day because you've fixed all this stuff, right? Or you think you've saved the day, exactly. which is a trap. But Exactly. Yeah. But but one of the things they wonder about is if I'm not doing that stuff, which is the stuff that I've been rewarded for and promoted for my entire career, what value do I bring? And as soon as I say, this is what I've heard from other people and what they're wondering, I get the bobblehead. I get the shaking of the head in the agreement because that's the stuff they're feeling that they're not willing to express. And then it's out in the open and we can talk about it. Because I mean, it kind of, they, go ahead. Well, I was going to say it also, I mean, even, even more deeply, it, it, it comes down to their self-worth. How do they define that? Well, and, right? and am I going to succeed or fail in this new world? I know what I've been doing is working. Because I got rewarded for it. So you're asking me to change. And believe me, the higher up in the organization we get, the harder that transition is, right? Because you're asking me to take, essentially, I'm going to say it, a leap of faith. Because I've never experienced this directly. To do something different in front of people that report to me and my peers. It's scary stuff. And so that's where I'm going to come in and Margie says it and and I've got it and it's attributed to me now is what's a little bit better look like. I'm not talking about flipping a switch and everything that you do is going to be completely different. You're going to stop doing it, but let's work on something, right? And typically it's listening or it's asking better questions, actually coming from a place of curiosity. Let's practice that. And those are the kind of things that after people start having some success, because they dipped a toe in the water, right? We're not blowing it up. We're not ignoring everything from before. Then they go a little bit further. Yeah. Yeah. Starting, starting with baby steps is Mm -hmm. a helpful strategy and so many things. And, you know, I, there, there, you bring up some really important challenges. It's easier to sort of diagnose the situation than it is to have good um, countermeasures or, or solutions. But, you know, I think of John Toussaint as, a relatively rare example, going back almost 20 years ago, right? He had worked his way up the ranks at mm-hmm. Theta Care and had become chief medical officer and then promoted the CEO. He was successful mm-hmm. in the existing system. And I think it, it's really rare for somebody to have, you know, here remembering him telling his stories of, you know, um, it's rare for one, he had some people on the board who challenged him to think about what could be better. Yes. And, and, and I think John, you know, showed this rare ability to, to, to rise through a system and then also be a bit of a revolutionary mm-hmm. and saying, okay, well, we're going to change the system. That's, that's, 
I, I don't know if that's well, a rare skill. Is, and I'm going to lead and role model what that looks like, right? Because there's there's other leaders that have said, oh, yeah, that sounds interesting. Go do that. And they come back and they go, I'm supporting my team. Are you? <laughs> because you're not stopping them. But but I think the scarier part and the, the more rewarding part is lead the charge. Right. Show them how it's done. Role model it. Because the other thing I talk to leaders about is um, what are you telling your team and your people by what you're doing? And is it in sync with what you're saying? And it can be the simplest stuff. It can be it's super important for my team to have work life balance and out of their mouth or or actually not out of their mouth, that work-life balance. And what they're doing is emails at two o'clock in the morning or 10 o'clock at night and on the weekends and everything else. And the team feels the need to respond. And the leader, when I talked to them, because we were coaching, and I said, okay, but they're, and they're like, I said, your team is responding. Yeah, but I don't tell them to. They weren't intending that, but. Yeah. Yeah. But I said, you're, but you are telling them. You're setting an expectation by role modeling the behavior. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. super important that you align what you do with what you say and your expectations. And the same thing is in a lean management system. So when you've got leaders, they're transparent and they're clunky and they're, they're very, um, they go to their teams and say, Hey, I'm trying something new. I'm trying to ask better questions so that, you know, I'm prompting thinking, you know, this is where I'm learning. Can you, Tap me on the shoulder or let me know how it's going or if I'm not saying the right quote, whatever it is. Involve the people around you in the journey that you're changing because you are changing and role model what it's like because you're going to set people up to go out there and try to. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, John Toussaint tells his story. I, I've, I've heard him give versions of, of this talk where he lays out kind of a left-hand side and a right-hand side. You might know the slide of the story. I what, don't. But... Well, so he, what he calls white coat leadership and this list of behaviors of basically telling, being all-knowing, okay. being in charge, kind of directive command. Hmm? Kind of traditional. Traditional command yeah. and control yeah. leadership. And he says it's not just doctors with the white coats, but he was one. So, And then, then he lists out the lean leadership behaviors. And he does kind of lay it out. I see your point. I appreciate your point about not laying it out as black and white, yeah. bad, good. Yeah. John John does that. Now, maybe that's red meat for a lean conference audience, right? It's got to know your audience. Nobody in that room is going to disagree. But I could see now where if he were coaching and directly working with executives, maybe he wouldn't quite lay it out that way. But to John's credit, he can say, this is, this was my transition. Well, and, yeah, but I'll tell you something, because what comes to mind for me to say this is um, he is their peer. So if I'm a peer coming at you saying, this is how I've identified it. And it's good and bad. It, it lands differently than me as a coach or a consultant going to an executive, you know, and, and all of a sudden it's not going to land so well. <laughs> so um, I think it's that awareness too, you know, are you in the same league as the people you're having a conversation with, or is this going to land as, you know, you don't even know what you're talking about and now you're judging me. Yeah. That's great. So, yeah, yeah. I that's think that's a, a big difference. Yeah. So, so John's got the street cred. <laughs> okay. <laughs> to be able to, to be able to pull that off um, and not have it land like someone's going to, you know, get ruffled feathers over it. Um, so it's, it's just, it's, and, it, and it's change and it's not. And, and I think part of it too is it's not what we're saying. It's how we're saying and the delivery of the message on some stuff um, because there's no judgment. There can't be judgment when we're talking about people, especially about a different way of leading and engaging their teams. Uh, and, and sometimes I've seen situations to where people feel judged in that moment. And if they feel judged, it's not safe and they're not going to be transparent and, and make the decision to step in. Uh, that, yeah, that's, I, I, I pause because I'm like, that, that's very powerful. That's very, 
insightful. And I take that to heart and think back and will do my own reflection on times where I, I know I come across as judgy about certain topics and certain things. And, you know, I think back to just you know, real quickly, a, a topic we've discussed with different guests on this podcast is uh, motivational interviewing. Have you been exposed to that? I, I know the term, but I can't tell you the definition right now. Yeah. But anyway, but the, 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 I think the key concept, the key takeaway is this question. Like if, you, if you're in a position where you're supposed to be helping somebody mm-hmm. as a counselor, as a coach, as a lean facilitator, what have you, are you trying to be helpful or are you trying to be right? Oh, yeah. And there, there are many times where being right is, is, as you articulated, is decidedly not helpful. No. No, because you, you put people off. So if, if we if we step into it, and, and believe me, I've, I've seen some interesting things, and I've learned my own lessons. Um, I was teaching the two-day A3 thinking class. So Margie developed me and somebody else, um, shoot, six years ago, seven years ago. Um, and again, not intentional, but intention doesn't matter unless it lands as intended, <laughs> Okay. Um, in the room, uh, coaching one, a, a director from surgical services, and um, he was coaching and I was saying, okay, so how can you say that differently, right? And helping him to, as a reminder, tap on the shoulder kind of thing. He honest, he didn't know another way to say it. And he was super frustrated, which when we go to that place of frustration, right, we're emotionally charged. We can't think anymore. This is not possible. And so. Um, he got frustrated to the point I looked at him and I said, okay, how about da 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 right? Um, but I created an experience for him that was so frustrating with the person that he was coaching with because I had done a couple rounds of that because I wanted him to be able to think for himself, but he wasn't in that space to be able to do it. There was a lot of other stuff going on. So I remember day two, he comes back and we were going to go into coaching. He looks at me and goes, can I talk to you outside for a minute? I said, by all means. We went outside and he looked at me and he said, I will not go through that again. I will not go through where you, you don't tell me what I'm supposed to say. I It's uncomfortable. And, and I said, and I looked at him and I said, I so appreciate your feedback because that's not my intention. And I don't realize that that's how it landed. It was a powerful, really bad experience for him. I said, I got it. Let's go back in. And we re-agreed. We went back in the room. He did coaching. If, if he wasn't getting it, I didn't say, how else can you say that? I said, let me give you another option. And I went ahead and stepped into it. But, but we need to open the door for people to get feedback so we can do something different, right? And part of that is creating a space to where they feel they can. So fast forward two years I was asked to step in and do some culture work for a very toxic part of the organization and facilitate this stuff. And I was like, don't let me, I know, <laughs> no, 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 no. It was so bad it, because the HRVP had called me and said, Hey, Michelle, we want you in here to do it. And I'm like, ah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> so the person, the leader that was in charge of this calls me up and it was him, this guy from two years ago. I said, okay, then. Um, He said, Michelle, he said, when I heard that you were the one that they were recommending facilitate this stuff and through this committee of culture work for all this stuff, he said, I thought, okay, let's give her a chance, right? And so we literally worked through all that to where, you know, we spent a year and a half, two years and position scores came up and EOW scores came up and all that stuff because we created different experience for people in the organization, um, but I'm telling you that because we can always create new experiences for people. And, you know, where I changed and like if, if I think about ADCAR and the model of ADCAR being an acronym, right? Awareness. I, I was aware there was a need to do something differently. <laughs> okay. D is a desire. I made the personal choice to step in and do it differently. Knowledge. I knew what was expected of me, right? I was no longer going to feed him and tap him on the shoulder and have him think for himself in those moments because that was not, he didn't feel safe. He wasn't comfortable. So I knew what to do. I had the ability because I had been teaching this class. And so there wasn't a learning curve there. And the reinforcement was his feedback. And, and the fact that I didn't have this frustrated person in the room. So I say it because ADCAR, or at least the awareness of change management, happens at the smallest levels. And we forget about that. We think it's, oh, the big initiatives, a big step. Yes. And mm-hmm. everything else. 
So we can come back maybe in a bit and talk a little bit more about ADCAR as a change model. But um, you know, first, it, it seems like you've got some really good experiences and insights when it comes to, let's say, even talking about a rapid improvement event as one format for trying to help lead people through change. And the idea of um, you know, change tools or trying to plug in tools at the end versus bringing people mm. along the whole way. Can you can you share with us about that? Yeah, it's and so I think one of the ahas that I had, right, as um, I got more experience and you know more involved in that part of it because I I just love it. I love helping people get unstuck and fixing things and working with people and just seeing light bulbs go off. Um, and and I don't know what I don't know. And so in the, the process of going through it, we would have our Kaizen events, we call them Kaizen events, and we would have situations that, you know, we go into departments and I was supporting one of the hospitals along with some other consultants. Um, and, you know, we would prep for the event. We had like a runway of like eight weeks before we went to, for, you know, in for right, Kaizen right. event. And so yeah. we're, we got flip chart paper up in the break room so that we can have, you know, people in the department uh, share pain points or all that stuff in the topic. And so we had all this upfront communication, if you will, awareness that stuff's going on. So we go into the event. And, you know, we're five days. Day two is typically root cause analysis, which was a day that you better be a really good facilitator because people could kill each other, you know, because they're pointing fingers. They had pain for decades. Um, so that part, I was typically the one that was facilitating that chunk um, through it. But you had, so you had a team that they worked through their own change journey the entire week, right? And this team is a small subset of, the rest of the people that are going to be impacted by this change. And when I look back on it, what, what I realized is, and I talked to you earlier, is that we would have these meetings with the leaders at night just to debrief them on what happened during the day and we we're progressing and everything else. But this was the lead, senior leaders of whatever organization we're doing, right? And the team that did all the post notes and all the stuff about pain points, they heard nothing, nothing about anything until the report out and oh by the way monday you know if we report on friday monday we're rolling this stuff out and i was and i look back on that and go we shoehorned in change management because all of a sudden you've got they're excited to hear but the problem is we've got this momentum and energy from we now have all the stuff we need to do to solve for all this stuff because we went in a room together and and then you wonder why it's not embraced and we've got resistance well, we have all that stuff because we didn't bring them along in their change journey. We just gave them a heads up that here's a problem and let's get some input. And in our minds, we're saying we're golden. So I, for me, it's like we have to front load that stuff. And there's got to be a way to communicate and keep the people that are impacted aware of what's going on as we're going through whatever improvement event happens. You know, whether you deconstruct a Kaizen event like I'm doing with one team now and Virtually, we're meeting, you know, because they're virtual. I mean, COVID and the way we work now has opened up so many different ways of engaging with people. But I think that's the, that's one of the biggest ahas for me on change management is that um, it's real and it needs to happen beginning, middle, every day, all the way along. And it can't just be, you know, where people send out a new do, do, no do share. Two days later, you go to training and we're good. Yeah, it doesn't work, <laughs> and, and it runs uh, you know, that that shoehorning in at the end approach, where the 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 change management is really just sort of a communication. Hey, here's what's coming. Yes, that runs the risk of the roll out making people feel rolled over. Mm -hmm. Well, and how many people? Because there's the the it's like we we've all gone to meetings, right? And then there's the meeting after the meeting. <laughs> okay. Yep. So um, it's these, it, essentially you have the report out where people go and here's what's going on. Then you have all the conversations that happen afterwards, right? Which are all the people rallying for not supporting whatever's going on, right? Because and a, a lot of it is because voices weren't checked in. You know, we did at the front end of it, but we didn't check these voices in as long, especially the critical people. If you do a stakeholder analysis, you're going to go, oh man, yeah, those people should have been, yeah, that would have been good. So all those learnings that are after the fact, you know, that I look back and go, oh, wow. So it, it needs to be intentional. 
at every point and it's the smallest change you know and especially with leadership it's like i've had conversation with people that leaders when they're making changes like org changes or anything else that may be they've already worked through their own change journey by the time they're ready to start communicating with the organization so the question for them is okay you've gone through your own journey now how are you going to bring the rest of the organization along right is is it fair to say different different individuals in different circumstances will move through that change journey more quickly or more slowly as they're processing things, as they're debating it in their own heads or with others, pros, cons, motivations for change, fear of change, trying to flush that all. Can I say yes to all of the above? Is there an option to (laughs) go yes to all of the above? Sure. (laughs) Because there's stuff that happens and I had people on my team that were like this, that were your early adopters, right? So if you look at early adopters, the laggards, whatever they may be. And then you've got the people that are just not going to come along. All right. And luckily they're not the majority. Um, But you've got your early adopters that literally most of them just have to hear there's something different and they're all in. Let's try it. I don't, I don't care what, let's do this. And I have people on my team like that. So if you're that person, right. And realize that the majority of the population is not that the majority of the population has questions and you think answer their resistance to change. They're, they're very slow to change, right? Because their biggest fear is loss of stability. And by the way, stability is routine. Okay. So almost 70% of the population is that. So you're, you're one of the early adopters. Let's do this. Great idea. Love it. Boom. Solution waiting, you know, for some problem. And you don't have an awareness that the bulk of the population needs something different. How successful is this stuff going to be? So that's a lot part of it too, is realizing there's a change journey and then realizing that people engage in it differently and at different rates. And I think that's where the intersection for me of change management. And like I said, ProSize ad car model, I like because it's super intuitive and I can easily bring it into any conversation. I've literally done it on a napkin. Um, and the other part of it is DISC. So there's plenty of personality indicator style kind of things. So when I got certified in DISC, I was like, holy cow. <laughs> and to me, those are where the two merge um, to create some really great awareness around, to your point, the population and the people go through this change journey at different paces so that leaders can be more prepared to have better engagements with teams. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, one, one analogy I use sometimes is, you know, there are some people like just when it comes to food, there are some people who are like, oh, some sort of new food I've never had before. Yeah, bring it on. Some sort of new cuisine that I've never had. Okay, great. Let's try it. And then at the other extreme, there are people who maybe just eat the same thing for breakfast every day because mm-hmm. that's their routine. They're comfortable with it. I, I know I like it. Why try something new? Right. We all have the friend who's like, yeah, I like burgers and pizza and that's about it. Yeah. And then there's there's you know a range of people in the middle who like I think there's a difference between being told, hey, we're going to go out and try this new sort of food where like you have no input on it. Like, hey, come along. <laughs> people might grumble and try it or they might they might dig in their heels and say, well, no, you didn't ask me what kind of food I like. Um, I, and I think there's a difference when people don't just feel like they have input, like they actually, when they actually have input, I think that makes a huge difference in terms of willingness to say, well, I've got questions about this new type of cuisine that I've never heard about. Um, I have concerns like not me, but somebody might say, well, I'm allergic to fish. Like, I don't know how, maybe, I don't know how much that is part of the cuisine or the restaurant. And, and if, if you don't respect that, or if you try to rush people into change, mm-hmm. they're either going to be really unhappy or maybe unsafe in some way, or they'll just, they'll dig in and say no when they weren't involved. Well, it'll, it'll unwind. So mm-hmm. if you look at the final thing, right, where the, the goal is, okay, I'm going to make a huge assumption, which is bad to do, Right. I'm assuming that the goal of any change initiative that's happening is that the change initiative will stick. It's assumption. Okay. So if that's the goal, 
then there's necessary steps that we have to go through in order for that to happen. And so it's, and, it, and it's not all about tools. It's literally about the people. <laughs> so you need to have some way to have awareness to understand where, where are my people. And then you can implement, you know, problem solving, right? Because I'm going to now close the gap between where you are and where we need you to be so that we can successfully navigate through this change. But if you're not even aware that people are going through this journey, right, or aware of where they need to be in order to, you know, have success across the whole, you're literally sending out an email, no do share, go to your training, go down the road and wonder why it didn't stick. So um, I just, and I'm gonna, I smiled when you were talking because there was a, a workshop I did today um, and uh, around being told what to do versus being, you know, it's my choice, right? And this one video I showed was around the science of smiling. And what they talked about is they didn't go to people and I'm gonna go to you and go, you need to smile. Okay, yeah. No, I don't. But, but yeah, what the question was is they went to, which is really cool, is this thing that they were asked to do. It had tons of benefits. Is go to people that, you know, waitress or uh, maybe it's a convenience store guy, whatever it is. And they videoed this, obviously, it was on YouTube. Um, and said, you know, hi, what's your name? You're Mark. You can play along. It's okay. Okay, okay. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, okay, I'll watch yeah, the real quick. Like, okay. okay, yeah. And then I'm going to look at you and say, what made you smile today? hearing uh, something really insightful from a podcast guest that made me think. Okay. So I want you to look at your face right now, right? You're smiling. So I didn't have to tell you to smile. I just asked you a question about what made you smile. And what happens is it'll take you back in that moment. Or like one guy, he commented, he goes, you did. And he was just a guy that his sitting face was very sad and very somber and very strict, you know, older guy and stuff. And just this grin split across his face. And it was just the coolest thing. And this is what change is about. If you engage in people in the change and it's their choice, right? Because you've answered the questions. Here's what's in it for me. Yes, I understand the impact of not doing it. Yes, I'm going to make the personal decision to step in. You're going to get the reaction of what made you smile today? Yeah. I think it's as simple as that. It, it's very, yeah, that's very cool. I mean, that's, it's so, and, and when you think about smiling, one other thing I wanted to ask you, Michelle, um, you know, we, 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 we so often focus on, um, you know, things, uh, you know, the, the, the rational appeal of change and making the case and the ROI and like, there's, there's that side of the brain, but then when, you know, you, you also talk about words that are used maybe less often, like, joy and happiness and the emotion of it. Can you, can you, can you share some other thoughts about the importance of a very even intentionally and consciously using words like that when mm-hmm. it's related um, to And change? it's so funny. I, I was uh, talking to someone today because I was sharing about the, the workshop that I did, the power of happy. Right. Yeah. And, and the comment that she made was she goes, my gosh, she said, I don't know how many years ago, that would have been like cutting edge. <laughs> it would have been like pretty risky to go out and do a, you know, hour and a half, almost two hour workshop on the power of happy. Really? Yeah. Who are yeah. you? Yeah. Um, but I think, I think to your point is, um, and, it, and I'll go back to S's, right? The large majority of our population, the S's, you need to smile at them. They're going to avoid confrontation. They don't want anything like that. And so I think it's the, the awareness that, the, the humanness of who we are and who we come to work to be trumps everything else, right? Um, and so to the, your point, there are people that what matters to them, that what's in it for me is ROI. They, they're wired that way, okay? They're not looking at anything else. So you'll need to address that question. And you also need to deal with the people that just don't care. It's not about the ROI. And so it has to be all encompassing. It's not just this one aspect of things. And I think it's it's important for us and for leaders to, to recognize how do I address the completeness of the population of the people that are impacted by this 
and address their concerns so that they can successfully navigate through their own change journey. And it's more, it's more than just ROI, right? And it's definitely not leading with tools. We learned that lesson. So that humanness, I think, connects to maybe the last thing we, we, we can recap on here is the workshop that you'll be doing at the Lean Healthcare oh, yeah. Transformation Summit, winning the people side of transformation. I, I don't mean to be flippant, but isn't, isn't it all the people? When you say the people side, it, it, is, it is people. It's people. So, but, so, right? are you, but, so I'm going to ask you, because I, I think it feels like you're making an assumption that we all know that. Well, um, may, yeah, maybe I, I wasn't meaning to make that assumption, but no, no, but I mean, but, you know it, right? So you're sitting there, and, and yeah, so I, it seems yeah. more obvious to me. And again, I'm not discounting the importance. Yeah, no, of this no, no, no. And I, but I think I mean, it's like, so what? How do you do it? How do you win the people side, right? Because because it is about the people, and I think there's been a shift in organizational cultures, you know, that, that have more awareness. I'm going to say organizational cultures in the U.S. because I think other countries knew this long before we did. Um, but the people, the humanness side of it, and, and for me in the workshop, it's first um, creating awareness that, that that's, change starts with us, right? So what does that mean that as we're navigating through our own change? Because one of the things I coach leaders on is that if you're going through a change, you need to make sure you wrapped your brain around it and that you can manage it up before you ever engage with your teams. Because that voice and that relationship that you have with the people that report directly to you, they're going to look to you for clues on whether or not this is a good thing or a bad thing. So we have to, we have to first man, manage and navigate ourselves through that. Um, the, the other part of it is then what does it look like? And, and even though change happens at an individual level, we can look across our teams because we've got subcultures across our teams, right? To say, okay, I know my team well enough. Where are they in this change? So that when we can start doing some, you know, gap closing, if you will, between where they are and where they need to be. The other part of it is that awareness around those communication styles. So that you can look at it and go, okay, so I'm someone who's quick to change. Okay, boom, boom, I am. I'm pretty quick. You're telling me, okay, great. I'm going to go with the flow. Here we are. But guess what? I'm very small part of the population. <laughs> okay. So I have to slow down to say, okay, what do, what do other people need? And, and what gaps do I need to close so that we can all come along on this journey? Um, and I think the last piece of it for me that I call the secret sauce is literally the mindset. And it's shifting to that, what Sean Aker calls, he's a Harvard professor, the happiness advantage, but it's literally shifting to that place of happy, positive joy, because that's the stuff that's going to give us the resilience to, to continue on and move forward because we're filtering things and experiences because it's going to be hard work. It could be the best thing in the world. It's going to be hard work because we're changing what we do. So the positive attitude to filter that stuff through is critical. Yeah. That's it. Well, it's an important topic. And, and again, that workshop is winning the people side of transformation. I'll link to the description in the show notes so people can read the full description of, of the workshop. Um, it, it will cover the ADCAR model. It's going to, it's going to talk about um, you know, engaging people, um, looking at this happiness advantage. Um, it sounds like some really, you know, practical, um, yeah, practical we're gonna, steps, it's going to be right? a combo of activities. So people will have activities they can take back and use with their teams. They're going to have some assessment tools that they can take back and use with their teams too. So they will have applied it on themselves and other situations and workshops. So it should be fun. It's the combo of like many teachers, discussions, debriefs, activities. So um, yeah, it should be a fun day. I'm looking forward to it. And I'm assuming, I'm going to test this assumption here that this workshop would be applicable for people who are in direct leadership roles at executive levels or um, throughout the organization, people who are, if you will, lean specialists, facilitators, people who are trying to be change agents outside of that formal leadership role, all of the above. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Hands down. Yes. Okay. Because the thing is, if, you, if you're in a consultant role, right, if you're a lane consultant or some uh, part of the improvement team, um, 
I view that role as connectors. And so you're connecting people to different information and learnings and ahas and tidbits. And so hands down, I, I think it's everyone. Cause I mean, point someone, point out someone who's not going through some kind of change. Right. So and it, in, in these days, um, and it's probably more important in just in general for those people in like the change agent role who cannot fall back on the traditional white coat leadership command and control mm-hmm. directive. You can't do that. I mean, and maybe at the risk of sounding judgmental, you shouldn't do that when you do have the formal authority, but it seems like the skills and the approaches here would be really helpful for uh, all of the above people who yeah, are attending. I, I the so. summit. And I look forward to learning from the people in the room that day too. So yeah. it should be fun. Yeah. So it's going to be again, June 7th at the lean healthcare transformation summit that is put on by uh, our friends at Catalysis. That whole week in Salt Lake City, June 6th through 10th is uh, the full event. I encourage people to go learn more about the summit. Mm -hmm. I I imagine a lot of people listening have attended these summits like I have. Uh, As as we talked about at the beginning, it'll be great to see familiar faces. And of course, it's always great to meet new people. If you haven't attended one of these, um, you're, you're certainly welcome. And you can learn more at Create Value. So again, our guest today has been Michelle Smith. You can learn more. Her website is betterpossibilities.com. Michelle, thank you so much for being here today, sharing your experiences, a lot of really helpful thoughts. I had fun. I appreciate it. Well, great. Hopefully back to happiness. Oh my gosh. Hopefully the podcast is, uh, I see some smiles. People who are just listening to the audio don't see that, but you've, you've described those smiles. So we'll get some, some happiness all around. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.